0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, we just completed a Thanksgiving weekend, and if there is anyone in the world that I know who takes full advantage of a Thanksgiving meal, I would think that would have to be you.
2: Oh, and I cannot believe that we are covering this ground for the, for the first time uh, communicating about it. But just a real quick, you know, what was on our menu. My father-in-law is a really big, we got to find an alternative to turkey guy. And we talk about it all the time. He, so he grilled up an entire grill full of steak in addition to turkey. So like- you can, you can I don't you can throw whatever tradition aside that exists if steak is on the menu, it's a good idea, right And not only that, Jimmy, but in typical me fashion, he, he, he took me out I didn't know what all he was doing. He took me out, showed me the grill, went through all the different cuts and was like up in the right corner here this is a flank steak and I said, "Hey, flanks for telling me that." And so I said things like <laughs> happy flanksgiving all all day It was the gift that kept on giving, just like the jelly of the month club Jim. <laughs>
1: So how about that? And, and I I'll tell you what um uh, Dustin and I apologize. I must have misplaced my invitation to the Hawkins Smith Thanksgiving uh where the steak was cuz I can't imagine you doing this having steak and not inviting your buddy Jim. I cannot imagine that was the case.
2: Well just like the Jelly of the Month in, invite in the uh, Christmas Vacation movie, yours fell in between the seats. And I just didn't have enough time to drive it up to Berwick to, to drop it off. <laughs> Bloomsburg, sorry, not no. Berwick.
1: <laughs> all right, Dusty, let's move on. Let's talk about <laughs> State football. The season is over, a 10-2 and two season. First of all, successful season, yes or no?
2: I'm glad this is the first question you asked because I was just reading through some quotes and uh, James Franklin saying, talking about this very fact, you know, a probable New Year six bowl, a 10 win season and saying how proud he is of that. And it's like, it is the same, it is the same thing. How exactly proud should you be of that 10 and two? And I think that they, the fact that they've happened consistently and, pr- and, and over a, a decade stretch, there've been, you know, Uh, some of these good seasons like this. I don't know how many exactly uh, offhand, but uh, I think it is something to be proud of. It's just, it's hard to see it when you get a good, hard slap in the face of, of the fact that you're not where you want to be each year. There's a fresh reminder that you're not where you want to be. Uh, But being at 10 and two and being a consistent program that can churn out 10 and two seasons, is something to celebrate though. I I know it's hard to see the forest from the trees sometimes, but it's a good team. It's a good program. It's a good coach. You know, we can get into all the Michigans and Ohio States later. Uh, But I think you should be proud of it. You know, Dustin, I think it's
1: possible for more than one thing to be true at a time. Correct. It's possible to be very disappointed. It's possible to say, you know what? Uh, this was a missed opportunity this season because I think talent-wise, this Penn State yep. team was on par with both Michigan and Ohio State. It's possible to feel all of that and still say, you know what, 10-2 and two is a really good season, and especially when I, I don't know, other than the Big Ten East, is there anywhere where there's that that much talent in one division and if you and I'm trying to think about this in real time here but is there a, another division anywhere in power 5 football that Penn State could have been placed and do you think would have lost more than one game
2: uh man I'm not real good with the divisions either but it's it's just hard to imagine because you know, you look at last year and these were both top four teams. You look at this year and, you know, I think you can make a case that they're both top five, 16, whatever it ends up being. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the the fact that you lose to them is not a disgrace. Uh, the fact that it happens so consistently and since so, so painfully in the same fashion that that's tough, but yeah, I, I don't think I, 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 there's a team, you know, worse position to try to have a one loss season, than Penn State. If you want to think about it in in those terms, being the team that's just in the outer orbit of those two uh, programs is a really tough spot to be in. And I I think you might be right that there's nobody else in America quite in that same spot. Yeah. And
1: maybe a better way to phrase it would be give Penn State anybody else's schedule other than, you know, the Big Ten East, you know, give them Alabama's schedule, give them Georgia's schedule, Washington's, Oregon's, how would they have come out of that? And I think there's a pretty good argument to say they they would have come out as a one-loss team. So, again, doesn't change the disappointment in in how they were 0-2 against Michigan and Ohio State, but I think you have to have a little bit of balance to that discussion. All right, let, let's take a closer look, though, at what's been going on with the team. And coming out of the Michigan State game, obviously, this was like this—this this was what we all thought or hoped for going into the season, <laughs> right? The, the uh, sometimes we talk about a, a defense pitching a shutout. This is more like a no hitter, okay? That they threw against Michigan State, Dusty. Yeah. And the offense was exactly what we'd been looking for all along. So do you come away from that saying, aha, I think they finally got, got it.
2: Uh, First of all, uh, pitching a shutout. If, if negative points were possible in college football, (laughs) Michigan state would have had a negative point performance in this one. Um, Just for the second half alone. But I, I, so how do, how do how are you supposed to feel when this is the exclamation point uh on, on the season um on the regular season? Well, the fact that you can parlay that into something good again in the bowl game, what it's gonna do is gonna perpetuate hope, Jim. You know, that this is why Penn State ends up being a top 15 team a lot of times early in seasons because you finish this way. This is why the Michigan-Ohio State sting tends to wear off each offseason and hope springs anew every time you start to, to sense, like, oh, how good the defense can be. You know, everybody's going to be in position by <laughs> September 2024 to be hurt again, Jim. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I saw something somewhere where it was the uh, hope starts, 6-0 and start, lose to Michigan and Ohio State, get disappointed, finish strong, rinse and repeat. And there is some to that, but is this any different than where Michigan was three years ago with Jim Harbaugh?
2: Yeah and, and that's the thing hope springs anew because of that too because you've seen that it can just take one you know and and what we've seen with Michigan though like it clearly it, it's more than that now because they've got a pretty decent hold on that Ohio State program that team now um so I think there was more bubbling for Michigan than it might be for some other team that catches lightning in a bottle and and wins it but um I, I don't think that you know, you, you're you're ever out of it. I don't think you can ever say this will never happen for Penn State, uh, because all you can do is get in the vicinity and then capitalize on the opportunities. And Penn State has not capitalized, obviously, on many of those opportunities. So, yeah. You, so Penn State remains right there. I don't know what the 2024 team will look like as far as who's coming, who's going, who's transferring, who's leaving early, that kind of thing. But Penn State's going to be in pretty similar position, you know, next year. And 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 when it expands the 12 teams in the playoff, that can help change the fundamental uh, position of, of the program too. But it does just take one. You beat Michigan, you beat Ohio State once, you do it both in the same season, not that you can anymore, but uh, that can really change the direction of the program uh, in a permanent way. And I think all James Franklin has done is kept them in that neighborhood without ever getting, getting in, just peering through the gates.
1: <laughs>
2: in the neighborhood, but they
1: never get the best house in the neighborhood. Uh, exactly. And and I know we'll talk a lot about this during the off season, but just mentioning, you know, again, next year, 12 team playoff. And the, they only play one of the two between Ohio state and Michigan. And then they add, washington and or usc or whoever next year so uh, they play more good teams if not as many great teams i'll put it that way yeah so next year 10 and 2 but make the playoffs do you feel different
2: yeah yeah i, th- I think so and and not just because you got um you got rewarded for the same thing with a new prize. Like I I don't think Penn state, this is the equivalent of Penn state getting a participation trophy in this participation trophy era, Jim. No, I'm just kidding about that. But um, I I think it'll, it'll look and feel different because the, the challenge that they had that they've met is different. And I don't know, like that's a great way to put it in terms of, of more really good teams, but maybe less great teams. I think conquering that with a 10 and two record, or maybe going 11 and one through that. Uh, is something different to celebrate and you would i think you would be deserving at that point in time of a top 12 spot and of a playoff spot and you know once you're in the tournament i mean i, th- I think when you've seen penn state the way that they have played in a lot of bowl games where they're ready they're loose uh they're prepared i think the same thing could hold true and they could, a- a- as a as a 10 or 11 i don't think it would be impossible to make just a tiny bit of noise in that setup
1: well and using this year as an example, and I don't have the exact rankings in front of me, but I, I'm not sure, there's no super teams this year, okay? Yeah. You're going to have a couple undefeated teams, that's great. But if you made that, fir- that first rung of the playoffs, and you're a 10 seed or an 11, and you play a 5 or a 6 seed, I'm not really that scared of that kind of matchup for Penn State against the teams that they would be projected to go up against.
2: That that would be, you know, a one loss team. That would be an Oregon or a Washington, at, coincidentally, uh, depending on where things fall. So yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not terrified of that either because I think Penn State is on the exact same tier. As them, I th- I think when you get outside of Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, I think Alabama's still kind of in that category. Penn State can make as good a claim as anybody that they could be the fifth best team in America, and I think the same, the exact same true is true now. Like if you put them on a neutral field against Washington, or Oregon, or, or some of those teams, uh, I think Penn State would absolutely hold their own and, and give themselves a shot to win.
1: You obviously did not watch TV this weekend and see Alabama struggle to beat a very, very, very average Auburn team. And they needed This was survival weekend, Jim. <laughs> survive in advance. And Alabama did that with an incredible yep. play. Maybe we could uh, chat about that for just a minute when we get back, Dusty. But that is it for quarter one. Stick around. Lots more to go, starting with quarter two.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone kickoff show brought to you by the Keystone sports network. Get the best Penn state sports news and analysis at keystone sports com, or download the Keystone sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone kickoff show. He's Dustin. I'm Jim. We're talking all things Penn state football and dipping our toe in the rest of the college football world. Dusty, we were talking about it between segments, uh, as disappointed as a Penn State fan might be, imagine being an Auburn fan, being at that stadium, you're up, it's the end of the game, Alabama has fourth and goal from the 31-yard line, and they convert. How are there not people fired?
2: Uh, I, I mean, they absolutely should be. Uh, I just watched it for the first time. I, I We had a one-year-old's birthday party on Saturday. I don't know... If, like you might have been to them, but when you're throwing those things, that is a very Super Bowl type feel, especially uh, if you're my wife. But uh, anyway, I just watched it for the first time, and and I I don't know. I mean, the the prevent defense, I the the criticism of it, I, I get it. This is a one play, and you're at like a hail mary type situation, so you play it differently. Obviously, you rush three. I don't even I don't even hate that as much as like. Not even trying to make the quarterback uncomfortable uh, is a thing. That quarterback, when, when you have eight bodies uh, inside the 10-yard line, that quarterback was not going to run for a 31-yard touchdown. So you didn't have to mine your rush lanes as much as you did there. So that that was a mistake, to not even try to make milroe uncomfortable. Um, obviously a mistake because – you know, catch it in the corner, great throw, great recognition uh, there, great catch, great little subtle push-off by the Alabama wide receiver. Uh, three Auburn jerseys were about seven or eight yards behind the play and just lost track of that one guy. And I think the odds of that happening when you have that mentality are, are, are far too good. So, yeah, heads should roll uh, at Auburn, but they're not going to. Not right now. No,
1: but anyway, let, let's shift back to Penn State. Uh, and let, Let's talk more about this offense, Dusty. My question, first of all, is did we see something different against Michigan State than what we were seeing previously this season?
2: The, the impression that I had, even when they weren't cashing in uh, their opportunities as, as much as Penn State fans w- would hope early in this game, Was that? Yes, I think there was a fundamental shift. I don't. I quite frankly don't know the X's and O's of football well enough to say what exactly they did in terms of their blocking, in terms of the you know some some of the finer points of it. But to me, it just looked like they said, "Let's simplify what we're doing, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it." You know, I don't think we have to coach circles around the other team. I don't think we have to prove that we've got the, the craftiest chemist uh, working on our playbook. Like, I don't think we have to prove all that. Like, let's just know who we are, do what we do, and, uh, and, and just be confident that that's enough. And, you know, Nick Singleton was put in much better positions to get ahead of steam going. You know, when, when, when he turns on the Jets, I don't care if it's inside the tackle box, uh, just off tackle on the perimeter in the passing game. As you saw, when he turns on the Jets, the same effect is true. And it's like, he never had a, he never was given an opportunity to really get his leg going. It felt like. So it was like a lot of things that we were clamoring for. And I, it, it looked to me like Katron Allen was put in a little bit better position too, to use his skill set, which I think is vision, cutback. You know, making his way through tight spaces, they created little uh, creases for him that he was able to get through. So, 255 yards on the ground was the end result. There, I know, I don't think Michigan State is a disgraceful defense. Uh, Michigan State had shown the ability to kind of hang with teams and find ways to to stay in games and hope that they give themselves a chance. And it looked like that they were—that's what they were doing against Penn State early. But, um, you know, Drew out simplify for Drew Aller. Let him rock and fire. Um, so it looked like what they were doing was different, different in a very refreshing way. And it was just saying, like, we as coaches don't have to win the game. We as coaches have to put our players in position to win the game. Like, that's the vibe that I got is that they just simplify what they were doing on the offensive side. And just was, it was just like, yes, every Penn State fan was saying a collective, yeah, where was this? It's not like those guys didn't lost and regained those skills. They had them all along. And Dusty, I'll go
1: a step further beyond just simplifying. I think they made the simple fixes, again, of the things that we've all been talking about they got their star running backs to the edge, to the point where they even lined up Nick Singleton like a wide receiver, did the wide receiver screen, and he runs the ball for 50 yards. And they also did something that warmed my heart, Dusty, is they seem to get away from that zone read, the mesh point where everyone's at a standstill, And the one option is for the quarterback to pull it and run. They were never in that position. It was the running backs had a running start. And if he didn't give up the ball, it was a true RPO where he had the opportunity to pass the ball. And oh, by the way, we found out it is not illegal to throw the ball over the middle of the field.
2: Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? I, I, I wish somebody would have explained that rule change earlier in the year. And it's, I think in this situation, it is easy to dump on, on the previous guy, but uh, I, I just think somewhere at some point, Mike Yersich just lost his way with, with this group. And it, 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 it seemed to me like when the going got tough, he felt like it was on him to just design the best play in the history of, of plays. And sometimes like you know, the, the lack of identity. I think they just had, they just had an idea what they wanted to do and they, and they remained committed to it. And they were very successful in doing it.
1: Do you think, well, first of all, let me just mention, I hate the expression "a coaching genius. Okay. If you're a genius, you're not coaching. Okay. You're doing something else. There are no coaching geniuses. And I think oftentimes the key to coaching is just like you said, make it simple, get the best out of your players and there's nothing new. Everything has been done before, as Joe Paterno used to say. But so now it looked like they unlocked something uh, dusty in this game with the new co-offensive coordinators, Juwan Sider and, and Ty Howe. I, did you see enough from them to hire them internally? <laughs>
2: um, well, I, I wanted to make this point, too. And and, and I, it's, it's a really good question. Um So the, the point is, I think as you look back in time and you think about some of the words that James Franklin used and some of the things that he said about, you know, we're a running team, that's the strength of our team. Like uh, there's a lot of things that he said that were almost that that you can interpret now as like trying to convince his offensive coordinator. And there, there was just never that conviction to, to work and do what, uh, what James Franklin wanted. Right. Like it's easy to look back and see like, okay, I think that's, that's straight. You know, the number of times that he said that particular thing, then they, then they got to it. So I think that was just an interesting part of uh, trying to figure out exactly where all this went wrong. But it looks to me like, you know, as a temporary thing, not, not only do you create a situation, like J one to me feels like a, a long time uh, James Franklin assistant, like the, a, a perfect kind of right-hand man type guy. Um, but now you give him a few games of coordinator experience on on a resume, and at the very least, can take that to the administration and, and get him a new title and, and a pay raise because he has that now. Ty Howell, I think, is somebody that James Franklin, you know, I, I think you can you can view him in the same light as Deion Barnes before Deion Barnes was hired for his defensive line job. And I think the defensive line has done a pretty good job this season. I think Ty Howell has that same kind of James Franklin. Um, good vibes to, to him. And, you know, I forget who, who I heard say uh, what was basically saying that Ty Howe was implying that he was maybe doing the lion's share of play calling uh, dur- during these, these past two games. So it's, it's kind of like, I feel like Ty Howe, this is a bigger audition for him uh, than for J one side. That's just the impression that I get, but you know, James Franklin has shown recently, you know, Dion Barnes blew him away in the interview process. So now I think Ty Howell has one really good game in his inventory and can maybe coach another one. I think the decision will be made by then, but I think has given himself a chance to wow James Franklin like Dion Barnes did and maybe make a run at it. You know, I think the least conventional OC hire James Franklin made was Joe Moorhead and it was the one that worked out the best. So I don't think anything is off the table.
1: And I think I put this theory out once before on one of the other shows, Dusty, but I'm going to throw it out there again. This is me playing amateur psychiatrist here.
2: I love if it you when you James, do, Jim. Well, that just... I, I went and got a prescription hear me out first be, be, based, you, on, based on what you told me before.
1: <laughs> hear me out before you uh, get too excited. But I, I feel like James Franklin has gone outside for the home run hires with the um, uh, coordinator positions. He obviously hit the home run with Manny Diaz. Nobody could argue that. I don't know if there's a Manny Diaz of the offense out there. You know, is there a head coach who is uh, just let go? You know, do you want Dana Hol- Holmgren? Uh, uh, you know, I, I had to squeeze coach? this
2: base. I had to squeeze this baseball reference in because you called Manny Diaz a home run. How would you? What play would you use to describe Mike Yurcich? That that hire. And here's how I would describe it: is a perfectly executed drag bunt that gets through the infield. And you get thrown out at second trying to stretch it into a double. (laughs) I was going to say, wow. Look at that. that. (laughs) Yeah. Look at that hustle. (laughs) But
1: yeah, if you, I'll follow through with the baseball analogy, Manny Diaz, (laughs) the home run. And yeah, you've been maybe even striking out. What was Kirk Scirocco then? And you went outside. Sacrifice fly.
2: It was a sacrifice fly so Mike Yersich could score the job.
1: <laughs> yes, he, he was out of the job, but he was out. But <laughs> you went outside for the, you know, I don't want to say can't miss hire, but the hire that looked like the home run, especially Mike Yersich. I mean, you dumped Sharaka so you could hire Yersich. That was how the outside hire worked and it's actually your last two offensive coordinators were that way. So maybe you say, you know what? Our issues here on offense were not that complicated. The solution was pretty simple, and it was simply to simplify, and it worked with the guys we have who I know them. I know they'll, you know, toe the line with the way I'm thinking. This last game really showed that. You know what? I'm— it's my reputation at stake. I'm going to go with the guys who will I know will go the way I want them to go, so that's that's why I think there's a chance of a hire internally. Am I that far off base?
2: Uh, no, and I do have one more baseball thing to throw out there if you don't mind. Uh, the, another particular play that could be used to describe the home the home run uh, is that is that long fly ball that somebody does a bat flip out of out of the box and then ends up being caught at the warning track (laughs) how about that one um and i i think there's going to be some some conflict how we remember mike you but yeah I, i i don't think it's crazy to assess the situation that way all right
1: dusty that is it for quarter two we got lots more to go stick with us
3: hey guys this is andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's Dusty. We're talking Penn State football. Uh, Dusty, a couple more thoughts on this Michigan State game I wanted to ask you about finally bo bo prabula became part of the game plan uh, what did you think of how he was used
2: uh i I, li- I mean i like it truthfully like i i think um you can have both of these guys on the field at the same time and uh, i think red zone weapon i mean that there there's no better way way to use him and i think being able to flash and show and utilize him in any kind of throwing capacity—it was not the most impressive throw I've ever seen in my entire life. But he, he, yeah. he did throw and and uh, and get a touchdown uh, pass there. So, yeah, I, I, I like it. I think it's a really good step in the right direction. It seems like maybe something that that James Franklin would have wanted to see more going forward. That was they were able to build into the playbook more in this game. But I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, great. I don't know how many how many snaps do you think he took in the game? Like eight or eight or 10 be like, how many was it before like the fourth quarter? Boy, I, that seems like a
1: pretty fair estimate. Um, I'm trying to see I, how many times he ran the ball. Uh, if
2: he, it, I think that's a pretty healthy amount. Once. Like he, he, he's shown, he's shown that he, uh, he can, he can bring something different to the offense and strike a different type of fear. Into opponents, And I think you saw when, when Bo came in against Rutgers, I think I made this point, um, uh, like the last time that he, uh, the Rutgers did not change the way they played enough when Bo came in. So it's like, you have to be able to recognize and be fluid in the way that you approach defense. The threat level with that guy running is different than the threat level with 15 running. So I think that that puts a burden on defenses that's real. And, uh, and, and Bo showed that he's electric and explosive enough. Like, he can hit a home run if you're not careful.
1: And the one other thing, though, I would say is, yes, there's red zone Bo, which, by the way, my one complaint was when they brought him in the first time, they had the ball at the nine-yard line first and goal through, uh, a, you know, an incompletion. And then they brought him in at second and nine, which I think puts him in a tough situation. I would rather have seen him in there on first down, where his style of play picking up three or four yards at a time, if you start that at first down, it's effective. Starting it at second and nine, not quite the same. And that's that's an interesting
2: like the when when you're talking about this, like there has to be some level of predetermination like we're going to we're going to bring bow in on second down. Like that I think that that has to be called before the series begins, don't you think? And then you can't really adjust it based off an unsuccessful first down attempt. Well, I wonder because they um the
1: next time around in the similar situation, they brought him in on first down and that was when he threw the touchdown pass. So, yeah. you know, was that them correcting something? Was that them saying Oh gee, we forgot to do the, you know, and everything going yeah. on in the sideline. Yeah. you know, it's easy in hindsight. My one other thought on using Bo Perballa, though, would be if you have that kind of confidence in the in him, is how about in those games when you are are struggling? And I'm not just talking Michigan and Ohio State, but like Northwestern, Illinois. You're on the road, a couple of bad possessions. How about bringing him in just to change the change the feel a little bit? Make that defense have to defend something else. I would have liked to have seen that, Dusty.
2: When you say bring him in, like, what's the like for an entire series, like uh, an entire drive, like bring him in in that capacity?
1: Yes, if if you know you have, there were games where let's face it, Drew out he didn't look right. You know his connection with the receivers was not right. Essentially what you saw against Rutgers. Now, the injury forced it, but all of a sudden you had this very different look. And as you said, Rutgers was slow in reacting to it. And all of a sudden you are defending something completely different. This, yeah. you know, this offense looks different when with Boper Bull in the game. And you're yeah. now asking the defense to do something they haven't done earlier in the game. Why not? And And if it doesn't work, well, you know what? It wasn't working with your first quarterback either, so right. I think it's worth worth a shot. I th-
2: I think if if like moving football pieces around was like a like a chess game and you could just kind of tinker like that without the the art of human emotion and and you know the, the what it suggests to your starting quarterback if there weren't some of those other cloudier factors in play I think you might be able to do things like that. I just think it's a really delicate balance between not showing enough confidence in your starting quarterback. And, uh, and and getting that jolt that, that you're describing there. I think, um, you know, one, one kind of middle ground is like, and this is a delicate balance too, is you bring, you bring Bo in and you allow him to hot hand the situation. Okay, like you bring him in on first down, like w- the, the, the more scenarios he's in where the whole playbook is open and the defense has to be ready for anything and everything, those are the situations that are g- going to benefit Bo given his – you know, sort of predicament without being a, a really feared passer. Uh, allow him to be, a, to be a hot hand. But then it's like with, with the signal with Bo then is that if you don't succeed on first down, you, you're not going to keep. So I think it's, it's, there's, there's more factors than that, I think, when you're actually making the calls and, and pulling the strings. I, I, there is
1: more to it. I get that. But I think in the game, you know, hey, Drew, you started slow watch from the sideline a bit see what the defense is doing you'll be back out there you're the guy but you know this is what we're doing anyway um in, in a, two a, cool... a two
2: quarterback in a two quarterback you know, balancing act, the more proactive you are in terms of getting the second guy on the field, the better off you are. And I know it's not always perfect, but if you're, if you're able to kind of maintain that in a normal game flow game script, without it coming to the, to, to drew, you've been struggling for three quarters. We got to get bow in the game kind of thing. Um, the, the more you can just sprinkle in on your terms without responding to game conditions, the better off you are.
1: That's a good point. And maybe it is. Hey, you know, our first possession of the second quarter, Bo's going to come in for one possession. And whether you're doing well or poorly. But it does cover you when things aren't going well. So it'll be fascinating to see, uh, you know, we have a bowl game, but then also going into next season. Uh, Dusty, the other significant news story from all this was um, after the game, we got from both Nick Singleton and from Drew Aller a commitment. (laughs) Okay. You know, we got a commitment for next season. First of all, are you buying what they're selling and how important is it?
2: I'm buying what they're selling. Um, I I wonder, I just, in this situation, I just wonder where the messaging came from and how it, it became a conviction for those two guys those two young players, sophomores to, to make that case. Who, to, who to, was that them communicating with each other? Uh, I, I think it's significant in the sense of like, you know, Mike Yersuch brought Drew Aller in. Mike Yersuch was his coach for, for two years. Um, I don't know what the nature of their relationship was, but without Mike Yersuch, there's a chance that Drew Aller's not there. So yeah, for him to say, um you know, we're, we're in this, we're in a little bit of a state of transition uncertainty at that offense position. I'm in, I'm committed to this program. I'm committed, committed to my teammates. I'm committed to coming back. Uh, yeah. This year wasn't perfect, but, but, but we're, 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 in this thing. I think it is of some significance uh, to say that right now, without a, without a permanent person in place and with a coach, uh, a coordinator that was, you know, played a role in both of those guys being there in the first place Um I don't know if it was their idea or if it was somebody else's idea. I would love to know the, the answer to that.
1: Well, I think they were both asked the question, and I'm sure they knew if they would be in front of the media, there was a good chance of being asked that question because if, if you go and look at message boards and so on, hours as good as gone. Did you see Singleton's yeah, body well, language? He's as good They're as not gone. blind
2: to this stuff. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they're 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 not blind to what the what fans are saying and what people are theorizing.
1: And what it also does, uh, Dusty, and I'm going to support James Franklin here because I don't think he gets enough credit from a certain segment of the uh, Pan- Penn State fan base. It's this incredible defense is because of Manny Diaz. The offense struggled. That's James Franklin's fault. OK, yeah.
2: you, you don't yeah. hear
1: James Franklin getting credit for the defense going well, but you do you get the blame. And right. then in the recruiting, I think we, you know, everyone bought into this Mike Yurcich, the quarterback guru, and he had that magic touch in recruiting these guys. But and this was not new that to me, at least that Drew Aller has a commitment to James Franklin. I've heard that before, you know, that he has a, you know, a good relationship with James Franklin, but there's a certain segment of the fan base who will never give James Franklin credit. Right. Oh, you know, drew Aller, five-star quarterback could only possibly be here because of Mike Yurcich. And we also had the situation. Remember the report that uh, the, the young commitment who made a quarterback commitment Said before the Michigan game that uh, Mike Yursich wasn't there in the meeting room. Yeah. Well, James Franklin explained it away, but he didn't do a very good job explaining <laughs> it away. Right. But, but the fact is, Mike Yursich still was not in that room. Okay, he was not. Yeah. That's number one. But number two, to that young quarterback, he did
2: not care. He
1: didn't yeah. care.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think all that says something um, in terms of like, you, know, you, you sh- I, I think the commitment is true. It, it is to the program. It is to the culture. It is to the, the teammates and the types of teammates that were collected largely by James Franklin. You know, all the fundamental things about the program that attract a lot of top tier guys uh is is a huge driving force in in them arriving there and staying there and maintaining their loyalty through transition. It's huge in this game where you don't really have, you know, assistance for a long period of time in a lot of cases. Um I think where where Mike Yersich really deserves credit in the quarterback department is I suspect that his evaluations of, of young quarterbacks are really strong. So the, the, the idea of going down that road to Drew Aller or going down that road to Ethan Grunkmeyer, I feel like yours just probably deserves a good deal of credit for identifying uh, those players and, and getting them uh, in, in that way. But in terms of where their commitment lies still, clearly it still lies with the program teammates and, and James Franklin, which I think as a head coach, that's exactly where you want it to be. Your, your assistant plays a, a role in getting a guy in. You play a role in keeping that guy in.
1: Uh, Dusty, how dare you compliment Mike Yursich when we've been busy vilifying him.
2: That's <laughs> no, a lot of nerve here.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, Dusty, you make a very good point, though, with that. Anyway, we are not done. We got more to go. Stick with us.
3: Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set.
0: We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. Uh, Dusty, we're going to shift our emphasis uh, this segment to the defense. And you know, I want to take a big picture look, but first, you just got to mention a couple numbers from that Michigan State game that really stood out to me. How about this? 11 possessions for Michigan State, eight, eight, three and outs. Six, it's incredible. Six possessions with negative yards gained, minus 47 yards in the second half. And the longest drive of the second half was one yard. Wow, one yard. So, as good a defense as they've been, this was their masterpiece, was it not?
2: I would ag- I would agree with, especially like that that strong second half statement part of it. I suspected going into this game that Michigan State did not have its quarterback of the future, uh, and I think I, I think that was kind of confirmed. So there's that there's that part of it, but. It was like the second half. It just looked like it was just unfair. It was, it looked like when Penn state's defense was on the field, it was like FBS versus like FCS kind of, kind of, it it just didn't, it didn't look fair. And I think um, the last time I remember, I think what what was it? UMass that it really felt like that too. Like you just felt bad for UMass. I don't think any Penn state fan ever feels bad for a Michigan state player or Michigan state fan or coach, but uh, it just looked like they were playing two different games. And that's like, that's much more so a credit to Penn state's defense and the, the sheer volume of electric talent that they have there, there are respectable teams in America and like, you know, Michigan State had won two out of their previous three games. Like they're, they're not, uh, you know, they're not dog meat. Um, although that does sound delicious uh, right now, but uh, they're not dog meat. uh <laughs> So I got a little distracted by dog meat there, uh, and and so yeah, th- this is a that was an FBS offense, and Penn State just made it look like uh, they just couldn't do anything.
1: Well, I did feel a little bit sorry for those tackles and the quarterback there, but it was not that, fair. Let <laughs> leads us to you got to discuss Manny Diaz and what he's done with the defense. First of all, there's a boatload of talent here, and we'll get to this in a second that they're not only a lot of talent, but these coaches are developing the talent along with scheming it. But all the conversation is Manny Diaz, he's going to be out the door for a head coaching job. But my question is, Dusty, I I have no doubt that he will one day. But is there a job out there or a potential job for him out there that you would say, you know what, that makes sense for him?
2: Well, I mean, uh, without getting to like specific jobs that, uh, could open or should open, uh, just getting into the conversation of like, uh, he's, he's in it, he's uniquely positioned, you know, like I, I think that he's shown that he deserves another opportunity as a head coach. You know, he got that opportunity, you know, at, at a, at a, at a big school with a traditional program at, at Miami. And then he has to take a bit of a step backwards to reestablish himself. Uh, in the coaching industry at Penn state. And he's done dominant things there. What type of job is Manny Diaz looking for? What type of job would pull him away from that? And I- I'm just going to assume that like going to the NFL is not on the sheet anywhere. So we're talking about, you know, power five coaching jobs. I don't think there's a, there's a great number of jobs that, that would suit him well enough. Like I-, I think you established Miami as the baseline, you're not taking a job worse than Miami. Is that fair? Is that fair to say? So the po- there's a possibility of like, maybe he is back. Maybe one opens that, that doesn't suit him. He, I don't think he's going to, you know, Purdue's job's not going to open up, but that type of program and well, also Indiana, ran
1: in a power program. Indiana's job is open.
2: Yeah. That's not where he's going. Many Diaz is not going into Indiana. How about Duke. Uh, I mean, Duke could be intriguing. It's back to, you know, a, a league that he's been in. Um, Duke, uh I don't think you're talking it's similar to Miami in that they they do get a lot out of their program with with what I presume is not elite level resources. So uh that that would be an intriguing one. But even that one I don't think makes the grade. Like I think you have to be looking at a perennial top 20 type team, not one that has flashed for a year or two. Like I, I don't know that Duke would, would, would swing it. And if, if Duke is, is offering the job, I'm not sure if they offer elite level compensation uh, or it's enough that James Franklin could get him a big raise and keep him for one more year until the right job does open. Uh, So it'll be, it'll be wild to watch that one unfold. And I think he, the last time there was
1: a coordinator position at Penn state, Looking to get a head job and did it with a solid, very good reputation was Joe Moorhead. And he went for Mississippi State. And I think a lot of us at the time said, you know what? Hey, maybe it's worth it for the payday. Okay. Maybe this is going to be his one big payday. So for that reason, it's okay. But if it's there for, you know, long range success, I just don't see it. So what yeah. level would it take for if you're Manny Diaz?
2: Well, and then what, what got me thinking, too, is like, what are you looking for in terms of like, OK, whatever's there on defense, we're going to make the most of it. I, I, I know that. What do you what do you need in terms of support on offense? You need to go to a program that's got uh, good talent in the pipeline at quarterback. Do you need to go to a program where you've got an established offensive coordinator? Do you have to make sure that you're going to have the money or resources to hire an elite offensive coordinator? So you don't have to, uh, you know, really nitpick that part of the program. Like what is Manny looking for in terms of those, you know, that support and there's family stuff too. So it's, I don't know what all was high on the priority list at, at this point uh, and how eager Manny might be to go, how, how, how committed is he to the, to the Penn state uh, mission of getting into the playoff and, and winning a national title. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, there. Uh, but I think, when push comes to shove, a lot of times there just aren't enough uh, high-level jobs out there that make that make it make sense for a guy like Manny Diaz to leave, as much as he might be positioned to do it.
1: I think Dusty, uh, w- you mentioned, you know, uh, maybe a player in place like at quarterback. I don't think that's relevant in this day and age because the portal yeah. could hurt you or help you so quickly. I think the money and resources and commitment to the program is what counts. And, you know, I'll give you uh, the type of program, Florida, which is struggling right now. I think, you know, Florida is kind of his home base, his home state. That's a position that, you know, Florida will commit the resources to it. Um, That kind of job, you know, Tennessee, that kind of job. Programs that you know the resources will be there. And, you know, I don't think a Mississippi State, you know, qualifies as that. And we're talking about the Southeast Conference. So, you know, what would be that kind of job in the ACC? You know, Dabo Sweeney leaves Clemson. uh, You know, North Carolina, you know. But it's not going to be Syracuse or you know, uh, or Duke or Wake Forest. I don't I don't think it'll be those kind of things. So because of that, I do think there's a reasonable uh, odds that he'll be back here again next year, which brings up, you know, another thought, bringing this back home to Penn State in their defense, Dusty, is it's very easy to look at this defense and say, oh my goodness, look at all that talent that's going to leave. Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, Curtis Jacobs, Kalen King, maybe Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy. I, I mean, I'm naming star after star after star, but guess what? They're just going to reload. Aren't they?
2: In a lot of those spots there, they're in position. Like I think I, without getting too far down the road on specific players, like Johnny Dixon, is, is a really interesting one because if, if Penn State loses Kaelin King and Johnny Dixon, I think there's a little bit of nervousness there about, about what your number one, two, three and four cornerbacks look like. You like what you like the talent that you have, but there are, are they really ready to do that? Would they have to really make cornerback a priority in the transfer portal? I don't really know the answer to that, but I also know that Johnny Dixon it could serve him well to be recognized going into a season as a number one quarterback and one of the, one of the best, most productive cornerbacks to come back. It's a great position to be in to have that reputation entering a season because you've seen with Kalen King, it's hard to shake that good cornerback reputation. Like I think Kalen King's been fine, but I don't, I don't, I didn't see like a top 10 pick player this the in terms of performance this year so once you have that reputation it's hard to shake it but I, I think there are a bunch of players who have emerged I think in the second half of the season over the course of the last two three weeks, um, who have flashed in in doses like a Tony Rojas. Uh, I think Keon Wiley has flashed in small doses. So you think about the linebackers that come back. Kobe King looks like he has absolutely turned a big corner uh, into an impact player at, at the inside linebacker spot. That changes things. So you you talk about having Kobe King and Abdul Carter coming back at linebacker next year. They're going to be fine there. If Johnny Dixon comes back, they're good there at safety. You've you you have a lot of those guys back. Um, edge rusher is, is something you know you're gonna have to address that that might be a portal thing that might be a, a young player stepping up thing defensive tackle I feel like they were just getting started they're gonna bring a lot of those guys back so this defense is gonna reload you might you might be 93 percent of what the defense was this year you might really miss chop robinson but you're gonna have a lot of physical talent with a lot of experience uh, back there for you that defense is not going to be a weakness that's for sure next year I don't think think. think that 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 matters if if Manny Diaz leaves this defense is not going to be a weakness if a a worst case if if all those edge rushers go this is not going to be a weakness that that's what they've created on that side of the ball that I think they're hoping to create on the offensive side too what I find
1: fascinating is in that list of names you gave for talent
2: for next year I don't think you mentioned Tony Rojas I I mentioned him early in the the linebacker like Tony Rojas uh kobe king abdul carter keon wiley let's not forget our guy dom deluca as as being a really good piece of that linebacker puzzle i mean they're they're that's going to be something that that powers this defense and they're going to be able to get after the quarterback some way or another whoever the coordinator is whoever the the edge rushers are this penn state defense is going to be really good again in 2024
1: Uh, they really are in the grand scheme of things The things I'm going to worry about in this offseason, the defense is not going to be one of those, Dusty. It it just plain isn't. And it's not just the talent. It's also the development. And I think if folks are worried about the style of play, if Manny Diaz leaves, I don't think there's any way in the world the style will change. James Franklin has seen it. James Franklin likes it that's what we're going to see again next year. I'm very confident of that. All right, Dusty, that is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
3: Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set.